Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. Uh, outlines are online at our social links. If you want hard copy, raise your hand and the Connections team will hook you up with a set of the uh, notes, our outline for today. Again, Genesis chapter 30. What we're gonna see is a family, uh, one husband, four women, 12 sons, and we're gonna just examine harmony in the home. I'm being a little cheeky. No, it's a dysfunctional family. That's what we're gonna see this morning. So that's the first blank in your notes, right? A dysfunctional family. We need to examine this family and how it got this way and, and what can we learn to avoid some of these same mistakes. And so Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name and Lord, just confess that we need you. God, we're, we're, we're cruising through Genesis and, and we're kind of taking a high level approach and, and we don't want to miss anything. And so again, God, I'm trusting that you can take a man of stumbling lips and in the power of your word, uh, through the work of your Holy Spirit, that God, you would make application to every life. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many people in this room with so many different life scenarios and yet, Lord, you can speak to each exactly where we're at and, and so God, we're trusting you for that. Lord, we acknowledge we need you. Direct our time in your word, be glorified. Lord, we don't wanna be guilty of just seeing and getting insight. Lord, we, we wanna be changed. Conform us, use today. Let it fall out to the conforming of our lives to the image of the Lord Jesus. Let it fall out to obedience. God, you're worth being right with. You're worthy that we'd submit our lives to your will, to your word, and so God, help us this morning. We ask all in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis chapter 30, we're gonna pick it up here in verse one. Uh, you know, Bill is having children, and verse one says, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, watch this now, Rachel envied her sister and so much just joy and peace and, 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 and wonderful things come out of envy. And just watch how this unfolds again, uh, being snide. Okay, so Rachel envies her sister and she said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Obviously, the problem isn't on Jacob's part. Her older sister's getting pregnant. So am I in God's stead? I mean, obviously God has withheld children. You're not conceiving. Um, you know, Jacob, his position is, I'm pitching, you're just not catching. And so, so there it is. God withheld from thee the fruit of the womb. And she said, behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may have also children by her. And Jacob said, okay. I mean, nobody learns, man. <laughs> nobody learns. It was a terrible idea when Sarah first came up with it. And again, if your wife comes to you, brother, brother, if your wife ever comes to you and says, I have a solution to the problems in our home, you need a girlfriend. I, man, rebuke that in Jesus' name. Call it wicked. I mean, fl you, flee that crazy idea. Okay, so anyway, she offers her handmaid. And so Jacob... Verse four, she gave him Bilhah her handmaid uh, to wife and Jacob went in unto her and Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son and, Jake, and Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath heard, right, also heard my voice and hath given me a son, therefore she called, uh, called she his name Dan and Bilhah Rachel's maid conceived again and 
bear Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. <laughs> okay, and she called his name uh, Naphtali. Okay, so let's look at this. What's happening now is wives are multiplying to Jacob and if you don't get anything else from this passage, get this, polygamy makes a mess of your life. Okay, polygamy always makes a mess. Brother, brother, you can't handle more than one wife. Just get that down in your heart. Jacob is not handling his family. And you may think, you know, another woman is the solution to my frustration. No, all you're gonna do is multi, ladies, I'm not being, please, don't get offended. Let me talk to the boys for a second. Another woman is never the answer to your frustration. If you're frustrated with one woman, just do the math, you add another woman to the equation, what have you done? You've doubled your trouble. And so pay attention, right? If you're having problems with one, you ain't ready for two or three or four. All you're doing is compounding the mess that you're not qualified to handle anyway. And so just, you know, file that away in the back of your mind. Polygamy makes a mess. So in verse one, what happens now? Rachel is envying her sister's blessing from the Lord. God blessed her, she's bearing children. And so now she's responding with envy. Well, that's not biblical. James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good gift and perfect gift, right? It comes from above, that's from the Lord. It's from God himself. For, uh, uh, Psalms 170, or I'm sorry, 127 verse three says that children are in heritage of the Lord. You have a baby, where'd you get that baby? Well, you know, when two people love each other. No, you got that from God. Except God blessed that union. There could be no fruit, there would be no child for you to be able to be, you know, burping and changing diapers. And, uh, you wouldn't get to watch this new life grow except the Lord blessed you. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And so instead of giving praise to God for Leah's blessing, Rachel's full of envy. In verse two, now she's blaming her husband rather than praying to God for the problem of not being able to bear herself. Uh, she's blessed with a husband that loves her deeply. She's like Hannah in 1 Samuel. Jacob is better to her than 10 sons. She's his favorite, right? He's all about her all the time. But he's not, I mean, he's not enough for her. And so she doesn't take her problem to the Lord. Instead, she lashes out. Now, here's Rebecca. Her mother-in-law, she had no children for 20 years. And she never yelled at Isaac. Uh, Isaac saw the problem right along with Rebecca, and so he prayed and she got pregnant. And then whenever she had trouble in her pregnancy, Rebecca prayed to the Lord, and she got answers from God. So here's her daughter-in-law in the exact same situation, but she doesn't follow her example. No, instead, she starts grousing at Jacob and she tells him, give me children or else I die. So now, pay attention to how this unfolds. Look at the math on this, what happens? Rachel's envious of someone else's blessing. She feels like she should have that. I mean, at the root of all envy, it's I want what I deserve. I mean, yeah, you got blessed, but look at you. How did you get blessed ahead of me, right? That's envy. So envy makes you talk stupid, right? Anytime you're talking stupid, what's the root of that? Oh, well, it might just be envy. So she's envious of her sister, so she tells her husband, you give me children. Just like, okay, so Jacob gave Leah children. The only reason that Leah is able to conceive is a good gift from above. God's blessing the fruit of that union, and she's bearing children. So she's, she sees someone else's blessing. She's mad that it, it's not her blessing. 
So envy now speaks and it's accusing. Envy talks stupid. I don't know what else to say. Give me children or else I die. And so she did. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 35, we're gonna see that God answers that request. She makes prayer to Jacob, God answers it. She absolutely dies in childbearing. When they're on their way to Bethel and, and, and she's in a hard labor in Genesis 35 and verse 16. Verse 17 says that she was in hard labor. The midwife says, you're gonna have this son and, and here it is, verse 18, Genesis 35. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died that she called his name uh, Ben-Anai, ben right? But his father called him Benjamin and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is in Bethlehem. So she died giving birth to, she, she literally dies giving birth to her second son. And we'll see that in chapter 35. So get this down in your notes, this is key. It's a very great sin to murmur against your God-given circumstances. It's a very grave, very great sin to murmur against your God-given circumstances. God warns us against this. Yeah, you're going through a rough time. Who allowed it? Who thought you could handle it in the first place? You, if you're God's child, nothing happens but what he signs on and certifies it. That includes the good, bad, and the ugly. And so to murmur against those circumstances is very dangerous. God allowed this in the life of the nation of Israel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses six through seven, we get the hindsight, we get the backstory on God's response to Israel murmuring in the wilderness. Verse six says that these things, the things that happen to them, therefore our examples as the church, we get the benefit of studying the Old Testament believers, seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and learning from that. It's for our example, to the intent that we should not envy, right? That we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be ye idolaters as, some, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So, just like they committed fornication in the wilderness with the Moabites, verse eight, let's learn from that, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Uh, you can read about this in Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 20, and, and then uh, on through verse 33. Uh, they're upset. All they get is bread from heaven. <laughs> I mean, hello, it's bread from heaven. <laughs> and you're upset about it. Well, because, you know, Egypt knows how to cook, man. I mean, they know. I mean, they, they get it. They've got, they've got, they understand the spices. They, like, Egypt knows how to throw down. All right, we've got uh, an Arabic fellowship that meets on Saturdays and, and a new family, okay, there'll be a new family in from Egypt. They got, they, they got the green card lottery in and so they're now here getting established in Kansas City. They've professed Christ, they're a part of, man, they wanna plug into MBT, so be on the lookout for a new Egyptian family. Love them, welcome them, make them a part, right? Uh, we've got a place for them here. Well, anyway, there was a celebration yesterday and I put on three pounds, right? Because, because Egyptians know how to cook. Okay, so now they're out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and all they've got is bread from heaven and so they're murmuring about it and, and God and Moses have a conversation about it. But anyway, um, it, it didn't end well. God disciplined, for them, disciplined them for this. Uh, fine, you want flesh, he gave them quail. They got 
what they wanted in the flesh and, and they also got destruction. Verse 11 says, now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Yet God loves his children and he's not afraid to let us go through a tough time. That doesn't scare God because even in a tough time, if we recognize that we have him in our life, a tough time's a great time. What are you complaining about? Okay, so you're not bearing children, your sister is. Don't murmur because nothing, think about this now as the bride of Christ and watch Jacob's response. Pay attention to that as we go through this passage. Uh, he's, he gets angry, right? Well, so does the Lord, right? Jacob is a type of Christ and we'll see all the ways that he is as we go through his life. But, but here are we, we're part of the bride of Christ. We don't wanna murmur against our bridegroom. It, it actually makes him angry, <laughs> right? And then he has to teach us, he has to grow us through that. And so here is God's people, God's with them. Yeah, they're going through a tough time, but these things are for our good. What's God doing with the nation of Israel? Well, he's refining them and, re- and preparing them to take a promised land, uh, to set up a kingdom. God's gonna allow you to go through hard times. He's gonna, go, he's gonna allow you, like Rachel, to go through seasons of lack, and those seasons, they're, deci- I mean, they're by design, right? They're literally, you know, maybe, maybe God's not the author of that hard time or that lack. Maybe he's not the author of the difficulty that you're facing. But because you love God, you're called by his name, God promises to work it all together for your good. He's gonna use that tough time to conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the key way that he's gonna do it is you have this thing that's missing from your life. In Rachel's case, it's her sister's babies. They're not her babies. Okay, she's envious, she's coveting what doesn't belong to her. And instead of allowing that to draw her into a place of dependency, and instead of allowing that to draw her into a place where she's drawing near to God and depending on the Lord in her lack, she's just grousing about what she doesn't have. God wants to take those hard times and use them to draw you closer in your walk with him. Right, to take your complaint to the Lord, right? Not to murmur against him, but to take your care and say, Lord, here's what's missing in my life and God, I trust you. I know you're gonna work it all together for good in my life. God, a hard time is a good time when, I mean, you're with me. (laughs) Why now will I complain? Why now will I grouse? Why now will I be bitter? I mean, why would I do that when I have you? Lord, you're gonna get me through this. And he does. Okay, so now he, got, he does get Rachel through this and, and I want us to flip this picture now. Uh, here's Rachel, she's so desperate in her desire for children, for the fruit of the womb, right? For new life in her life. Well, that's a picture, I mean, we're part of the bride of Christ. We ought to be desirous to bear fruit for him. Right, that ought, to, that ought to picture the believer's desire to make disciples, to have fruit that remains. We're made for this, right? And so Psalms 126 verse six says, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Right, that ought to be the cry of our heart. This, I mean, you know the parable of the sower and the seed? The sower, he sows seed in the field. And the Bible tells you explicitly, the field is the world and the seed is the word of God. You and I, we weren't born again through 
the will of man or the ability or the will of the flesh. It was through the incorruptible seed of God's word. It took root in our heart, it grew, it bore fruit to salvation. And so now we go bearing precious seed into the field of the word, and so, into the field of the wor- world. We bear the word of God, and, and so the, the formula is this. We gotta get broken for new life. We gotta get broken for souls. We gotta go forth weeping, bearing the word of God. And here's the promise. He that goeth forth, weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. If you have never, if you've never won anybody to Christ, let it break your heart. Start crying about that and start telling people the good news of the gospel, right? You say, I don't know if I can. Well, chum the water. See if somebody's interested in a spiritual conversation. Throw something out there about what God did in your life. Don't feel, don't feel pressure to make something happen, right? Um, every time we got pregnant, Cheryl and I didn't actually make this happen. Okay, I mean, we did, right? But I mean, like, what we did is, is we spent quality time with one another. And we just kept spending quality time with one another and, and two become one. I mean, that's just kind of how marriage works. And, and the proof of it is in three children. Uh, it was in the relationship that we had as husband and wife that this new life came. And so you ought to just get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Draw near to him, right? And then just talk about him. Trust God to open a door. Ask people to pray for you. But you ought to get broken over new life, over lost souls. You ought to get broken. God, give me children lest I die. That ought to be your heart, to bear fruit for your husband. And the promise of Psalm 126 is that doubtless you will come again rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. I mean, that's a promise from God's word. Like everyone in this room can absolutely take it to the bank. God, God will use you to lead another soul to Christ. You ought to, you ought to memorize Psalms 126 verse six. So help me God by your grace. I'm gonna win somebody to Christ because I'm broken for new life. You designed me for this. John chapter 15 verse 16. Jesus tells the disciples, you've not chosen me but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So God, give me fruit. Give me new life. Give me children lest I die. I wanna see souls come into your kingdom. That's, this is the reason for my existence. Can you not weep over a lost soul? Except you lead them to Christ, they're gonna spend eternity burning in hell, separate from God, because that's the only place that'll be left in eternity, outside of God. And so, like, man, let's rescue the perishing. Let's be used of God to, tr- to translate people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. God, they're just gonna go to hell anyway. Give them to me, right? Weep over lost souls. You'll doubtless come again rejoicing. So, so then when we get to Genesis 35 and we see Rachel dying in birth, I mean, what a beautiful picture that is of laying down your life, it costing you your life in order to see new life come forth. I mean, what an incredible spiritual picture. New life coming out of a, a, a laying down of your life, a, a giving of your life, that, that, that new life might be born. So there she is, she's journeying from Bethel. They're coming to Ephrath and Rachel is in hard labor and, and the midwife is telling her, don't fear, 
I mean, you're dying, but don't be afraid. You're gonna have this son too. So that's interesting. Um, scripturally, the relationships that God give you, they're forever. It's pretty wonderful. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing for that she died. She called his name Ben-Anai, but his father called him Benjamin and Rachel died. She died, she laid down her life in giving birth. So, man, go back up, look at verse two again. Jacob gets angry over Rachel's grousing, over her complaining. Uh, she's, she's, there, there's the implication that somehow this is Jacob's fault, right? Jacob's holding out on, on him. And so, ladies, there's a lesson in that, right? Uh, this, isn't, this isn't the way to win with our husbands. I say that figuratively. I don't have a husband, okay? <laughs> Stay with me. Uh, here's how you win with your husbands. That's maybe a better way to say it. Okay, so, um, man, don't accuse them. Don't grouse at them, right? Don't, don't be bitter and complaining toward them. Uh, one of the things that, that, that I really appreciate about Cheryl is she had plenty to complain about. Don't get me wrong, okay? <laughs> but uh, uh, she, she, she really, you know, over our marriage, you know, this, actually this month it'll be 30 years for her and I. Uh, we'll be married for 30 years. <laughs> um, a few years into our marriage, instead of her pointing the finger at me and pointing out what was wrong and, 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 and you know, what mistakes I was making in our marriage relationship, uh, she changed it up on me and, and she says, Sam, I need to talk to you. Uh, this happened and I know that you never would want to hurt me but I want you to know here's how this made me feel. And so I'm not being accused, I'm not being, I'm not being marginalized as some monster I'm being approached as a husband who has a heart for his wife and I need some data. And it changed everything in terms of the dynamic, you know, instead of like, you're an idiot, that's what I'd hear, you know, you did this, you're a monster, and you know. Now she never said any of those things, but that's what I'm hearing and so I'm reacting and, and most men, when they're approached with a fight, they're gonna respond either one of two ways. They're either gonna fight or they're gonna flee. Okay, they're not, we're not, we're not super designed to just be super, I mean, there's the exceptions that prove the rule. Some guys are like super great at relationships and they just immediately start working things out. They're unicorns, they're very rare. <laughs> Most just either fight or flee, okay? So the approach, man, she's accusing him and so he, obviously, he gets angry. Wives, you have the ability to sow death into your family to sow death into your marriage relationship and to sow it into your children. This dysfunction grows. Uh, under this next point, I think it's bickering brides in your notes. Just pay attention to how they're naming their children. And the names of the children, there's one sense in which it's reflecting the war between these two sisters. And you just wait, right? When Joseph comes, when Joseph, he's a child, when he comes on the scene, his siblings are envious now of him and his place in Jacob's heart, and that envy turns to hate, and their hearts turn to murder. And where'd that come from? That came from these two sisters. It came from Leah and Rachel. It came from these two women who could not come to a place of peace. They were at war with one another, and so they, name, they literally name their dysfunction into their children. 
So get this down in your notes. You inevitably sow your own dysfunction into your children. So grow up before they do, right? Grow up and be mature before you're trying to raise others into maturity. Your envy, your bitterness, your pride, uh, the points, the places of wickedness, the pockets of wickedness that are, you allow to thrive in your own heart, you're gonna sow that into your children. Uh, these kids grow up with a heart to murder their little brother. God forbid. So here's Rachel trying to have children through her maidservant. She's not learning any lessons. I mean, it's the same scheme that Sarah attempted through Hagar, and so now dysfunction multiplies. But even in that, God can take all that mess and work it for good. I mean, so here's a Romans 8.28 point, or Romans 8.28 key. God took this mess, right? God in his grace took Rachel and Leah's mess and made up the 12 tribes of Israel because God can do something good out of any mess that we have, I mean, whatever mess you've made, man, start moving forward in faith and God's gonna work it for good. And so here in verses nine through 13, we've got Zilpha's sons. Uh, Leah saw that she left barren, so she takes her maid, gives it to Jacob, and, and so she starts bearing sons, and so she names, verse 11, she said, a troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. Second son comes, and Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed, and she called his name Asher. And then in verses 14 through 21, we see Leah's bearing again. Okay, so now I watch this. It's an interesting story. Verse 14 says, Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she, Leah, said unto her, Rachel, is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? Okay, now if you'll remember the story, who took whose husband? <laughs> who showed up in the tent that wasn't supposed to be in the tent? All right, yeah, so Leah's actually the thief, but whatever. Okay, so thou wouldest, and wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. <laughs> so, you know, Jacob's a hoe and Rachel's pimping him out, I guess, for the price of mandrakes. <laughs> And he lay with her that night. And Jacob, right, here it is, verse 13. God, hearken unto Leah. Stay with me, boys. And she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, watch this now. God hath given me my hire because I have given my maiden uh, to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun, and afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. So every time, right, she has a child, she gives it a name that reflects what she hopes to get from a man who doesn't want to spend time with her, right? His, her sister has to tell him, you're in Leah's tent tonight. He doesn't want to spend this time with her. He doesn't really love her the way he loves her sister. So get this down in your notes, ladies. Exchanging sex for status never works. It just never works. You're never gonna get to the place that you wanna be by giving it up. Uh, be in the relationship that God has you. Sex is for the, uh, right, it's for the design and the help and it's for the process of marriage, right? Give that in that setting, in that context. See, the amazing thing about this text, it shows that Jacob doesn't wanna be with her, but he doesn't mind sleeping with her. Oh, that's okay. 
You know, it's been, a, it's been a minute since I've been in Leah's tent, so he's okay with that. And so that's dysfunctional. Jacob doesn't want to be with her the way he wants to be with Rachel, but he keeps getting a swerve on with her, and so she keeps giving it up because she hasn't learned that every man goes through three stages in development. I learned this from Pastor Shelby. Okay, every man goes through three stages of development. First, there's the male stage. The male stage is where a guy's only concerned about his appetites being fulfilled. And as a consequence, it's always all about him, but you know, he starts to grow. You know, you see the male stage in infancy. Uh, hungry, cry. Dirty diaper, cry. What does he want? He's gonna throw a temper tantrum until he gets his way. Some men never grow out of the male stage. They're 21 and they're crying but I love you, right? They're throwing a temper tantrum, trying to get their appetites satisfied. Some men never grow out of the male stage, but then the boy stage comes. Boys like to play with toys and boys like to play games. And so ladies, any brother that's a player, it's all about trying to, you know, get something and get over on you and, and, and you'll lose at that game. And so don't, don't mess with a man in the boy stage. You want him to grow up to the man stage where he's responsible, where he handles his business and he has his priorities in order. Ladies, don't settle for a boy, marry a man. Don't settle for a player, marry a mighty man of God. So you'll know, you'll identify him. There's a few things, okay? You'll know he's qualified to be with you. He has a job. He's gainfully employed, so he's ready to provide for a family. That'll be a big deal. Guys, are you taking notes? He has a job, okay? He's faithful in the little things. The Bible tells you in 1 Thessalonians to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. The only way you're gonna know he's good is you're gonna have to watch him in all things, right? So is he faithful in all things? Is he faithful in his friendships? When things don't go his way, does he throw a temper tantrum? Right, is he, act, is, he, is he acting like a little boy? You know, there's things like this that you gotta watch out for. Um, how does he treat his mama? That's a big deal. Does he adore her? Does he treat her with respect? How does he treat his mama? Because however he treats his mama, that's how he's gonna treat you. Um, you, show a, you show me a guy that's rough talking to his mama, he'll make a poor husband. Uh, you'll, you'll weep a lot. Um, and then, you know, man, don't settle for anything less than a guy who's fruitful for the Lord. Does he have a heart for God? Does he have a heart for the things of God? Is he all about a kingdom agenda? Ladies, you want a man, but you want a kingdom man. You want somebody that's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've seen this happen so many times. Men develop later than women, typically. That's just the way it happens. Women mature faster than men. And what happens is, you'll see these ladies, they're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, they're so fruitful, they're winning people to Christ, they're making disciples, I mean, they're like pit bulls for Jesus, it's awesome. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're like, they're just so fruitful and productive. And then they marry a dude, a boy, or, or, or a player, you know, they marry some guy that it's all about himself, and then the fruitfulness ends in the life of the woman, because she's married to some playing me monster and you don't want you don't want to have a pocket of fruitfulness at the beginning of your adulthood followed by a lifetime of frustration and dysfunction you want to be so, you want to be with someone that you can be with in in, in ministry and in service to the lord look for that guy that's all out for jesus and then just join with him and help him serve it'll be a fulfilling life
See, what Rachel needed to do is she needed to go back to the place of Judah, right? The place of her contentment, or I'm sorry, Leah needs to get back to the place of Judah, back to a place where she's just gonna, you know, I can't get my, my contentment from Jacob. I need to get it from the Lord. Uh, we saw that in Genesis 29, 35. Psalm 62, verse seven says, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is God. Man, just come to the place where you just decide. I'm not gonna find satisfaction from anyone or anything in this world. I'm just gonna go to God and get it there. Let God be the best place you can be. Verse eight says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. 94.22 says, the Lord is my defense and my God is the rock of my refuge. Chapter 27, verse one says, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So make him your refuge, make him the source of your contentment. Man, seek him first and the things that you need in this world, let him add them to you. So 1 Peter chapter five, verse seven, cast all your care upon him. Believe that he cares for you, right? He careth for you. Let's aim our heart's desire at him. Seek him first, his righteousness and then he'll add what you need to your life. Okay, so verse 22, Rachel finally gets pregnant. God remembered Rachel and hearkened to her. God answers prayer and opened her womb and she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. You ought to underline that phrase in your Bible. God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. So God remembered, anytime you're hurting, God sees it and he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget your pain. In Exodus 2, verse 24, he remembered Israel in her groaning, right? God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God doesn't forget you and leave you hung out to dry. He doesn't leave you hurting. And then God answered her prayer. He hearkened unto her. At some point, right, God, I mean, God's taken away my reproach. You ought to underline God hearkened unto her. At some point, she quit yelling at her husband and she started calling on God, right? The God of grace. That's how winning with God gets done. I'm frustrated with Jacob. Lord, I'm gonna trust in you. I'm so frustrated with my circumstances. Lord, you're gonna be enough. My hope, my desire, right? My life, it's all aimed at you. So God answered her prayer. When the heart's right, God gives the desire of the heart. Psalms 10 verse 17 says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. That will prepare their heart. That will cause thine ear to hear. Right heart, man, God hears your prayer. So good. He prepares our heart so that we'll pray right. And so that means we're gonna go through some stuff so that we quit fighting for our rights. We quit with envy and we just start trusting the Lord. 21.2 says, thou hast given him his heart's desire and has not withhold in the request of his lips. Selah. 37.4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Man, whenever your heart aligns with God's heart, man, you get what you ask for. God hearkened to her and now she's got a baby. And she says, you know, God has taken away my reproach. In other words, God's erased my shame. So what happened? How does that work? Well, I'll tell you how it works. First John 1, 9 says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, just start agreeing with God. Start siding with God over the point or the source of dysfunction in your life. 
And then he takes away the reproach. Psalms 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. So she calls his name Joseph, verse 24, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Joseph means God adds. That's what it means, God adds. Uh, Let's go ahead and bring up that next point on the PowerPoint. See, this is key, God, he, he took away. She's in a place of lack and frustration, but he doesn't just take away, right? If he doesn't, if he, all he does is take away and he doesn't add, then there's emptiness, there's a void in your life. So what he does is he, he erases and then he replaces. That's how God works. So you may, for example, lose a relationship in your lost life, in the lost world, coming to Christ may cost you relationships, but he'll replace them in the body of Christ. Uh, He makes up for what was not there and what wasn't any good to begin with. So God will take away your dysfunction and he'll give you something functional with him to replace it. Man, how good is God? I loved Riley's testimony. Man, Riley, it was so awesome to see you get baptized, sis. That was wonderful. And you remember what she said? I mean, she just, she gave her life to Christ. She starts seeking the Lord and she's like, I really don't know when I quit drinking and using. What What did God do? God replaced that in her life. Man, how good is the Lord? I mean, what you had in your life, that wasn't any good anyway. God's always better. Now, don't miss this, okay? So we've got a chart there for you in your notes. There's a picture in the names of these patriarchs and these these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And incredible pictures and prophecy are contained just in the simple act of mothers giving names to their children. And so we charted that for you because we're not gonna have time to break it down. That's your homework, you can check it out. But man, in the names of these children, there's an incredible gospel story written in the names of these kids. I mean, we'll just start with, a, with the first few. Reuben, see a son. Well, that's how the gospel works. First, you have to see the son of God, don't you? You have to see the son. And then Simeon means hearing. She was heard of the Lord. Well, that's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Levi means join, my husband will be joined to me. Well, that's what happens in salvation. You are now joined to Christ. I mean, how beautiful is that? And then Judah, praise. Man, you get saved, praise comes out of your life. Well, and then, you know, God's gonna allow you to go through some things. And so, you know, Dan through, through the second coming represented in Benjamin. All that's in the life of the believer, your service, in your persecution, right? In your growth, all of that's pictured in these names. But then you also see the life story of Israel painted in the names of these children, these, these sons of Jacob, these 12 patriarchs of Israel actually lay out for you, they picture for you uh, the story of Israel uh, from, I mean, all the way from the Passover to the second coming of Christ. And so that's all for you in your chart. If you've got a question, get a hold of me. I'll help you any way that I can. Uh, so, man, moms are just naming their kids and God's painting picture of the, I paint a beautiful picture of the Christian life. He's, he's painting the picture of prophecy for the nation of Israel. And so get this down in your notes. Here are these 12 great patriarchs. Their life's names are prophetic and so behind every great man is a great woman, right? Their mamas gave them those names. And so every, I mean, and their names now are recorded in the word of God and so God used these women to give us his word and every word of God is given by the inspiration of God. Even in naming their children, God is using these women for great good. And there's so much great, I mean, you study this chart out, Proverbs two, verses one through five tells you there is treasure in the word of God. 
So study, dig for it, work for it, find the pictures and the principles and the truths of God's word that's contained there. Studying the names of the 12 tribes, what a blessing that is. All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 25, uh, Jacob needs to get paid. It came to pass when, when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go. For thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, appoint me thy wages and I will give it. And he said unto him, thou knowest how I have served thee and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hadst before I came and now it is now increased into a multitude. You were just a podunk farmer, right? You were a little ranch, but now, I mean, Laban's a big deal. So God's greatly increased you. And so the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. Now when shall I provide for mine own house also? And he said, what shall I give thee? And Jacob said, thou shalt not give me anything. Thou, if thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock, and I will pass through thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And of such shall be my hire, and so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come from my hire before thy face. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. And he removed that day the he-goats that were ring-staked and spotted and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had some white in it and all the brown among the sheep and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he set three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Okay, and what we're gonna find out is that, you know, as all of the offspring from these herds end up being born colored with Jacob's colors and insignia, they end up in his flocks, Laban keeps changing the wages, right? Whatever way the births are trending, Jacob wants them to land in his herds. But what's happening now is Jacob is growing through this hardship, that's your next blank. And what's evident in his growth is his desire to provide for his family. First Timothy 5.8 says that if we don't provide for our own, especially for those of his own house. He hath, not deni- or he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If a man doesn't take care of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So Jacob knows this. He wants to provide for his family. And so what happens now is God gives Jacob insight. We'll see this in this next section. And so what he does is he takes him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and pilled white strakes in them. He's peeling back the bark and he's showing the wood, these white strakes in them, and made white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had pilled before the flocks and the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle ring-straked, uh, ring-straked speckled and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring-straked and all the brown in the flock of Laban, and he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not unto Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutter, 
that they might conceive among the rods. So why these stripped rods whenever the cattle are mating? Why? Well, we'll see before it's all said and done. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in, so that the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maidservants and men servants and camels and asses. Okay, so here's what we're gonna see in this section. Really, when you get the whole picture, what you're finding out is Jacob, his wages are being messed with by his uncle. His uncle keeps trying to rip him off and God's undertaking for Jacob. Laban couldn't be satisfied with being blessed by having Jacob as his employee. No, that's not enough. He doesn't want him to profit. And so Laban is, you know, your stereotypical, uh, you know, top-hatted, monocled, Um, 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 antichrist of a boss, right? He doesn't want his employees to be blessed. He wants everything for himself. And so God sees it, and so he's, he's undertaking on, on Jacob's behalf and, and gives him insight in terms of what to do. I don't understand how this works, uh, but for whatever reason, this is, the, the, this is the way that God led Jacob, and it did. And so all of the offspring end up being identified as belonging to Jacob's herds now. And so here it is. God blessed Jacob, okay? That's who blessed him. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, you know, it's not the planter or the water that's the reason for the fruit, but God that giveth the increase. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Uh, You get insight into what's really going on here in Genesis 31, verse nine. The kids say, God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. Or I'm sorry, Jacob says, God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring staked, speckled and grizzled. And the angel of God spake to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. So Jacob follows the leading of the Lord in setting up how the cattle are mating and multiplying. And so he got results. But Jacob had to see that God, not Jacob's cunning, was the key to the reward. See, God's grace and God's approval don't always coincide. So Jacob getting an increase of his flocks, right, that was a result of God's leading, God's providence. It had nothing to do with Jacob's scheming. All right, I'm gonna cut these rods up and I'm gonna get all the cattle for myself. No, God's leading him now. And God has him put them in front of the herds. And so he said, God showed me, God led me. And that's why I did it the way that I did it. And now your father, I mean, your father had nothing when I showed up. He had everything. God was blessing him, but that wasn't enough. And so God provided for me. That was Jacob's testimony. So God is encouraging Jacob in the midst of just a horrible job situation, a terrible employer, in the midst of injustice done against him. Well, he does the same thing for you. You know, you may think your boss is the Antichrist, and maybe you're right, okay? God sees that, right? Trust him to care and keep you. Trust him to keep the record straight on your end. Again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your care upon him. Why? Do you believe it or not? Do you believe that God cares for you? So many times we come to God and it's like, God, this is probably not a big deal for you or God, you don't really care about this. Well, according to your faith, be it unto you. But if you know and you believe that you're God's child, it's a big deal to God. 
And you need it, brother, sister, you need to get full of faith and you need to take that difficult situation and you need to give it to the Lord. And so God, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't like it, but I'm trusting you in it. And even if it never gets better, I'm full of rejoicing because you're with me in it. And so help me, God, by your grace, you're gonna bring me through. And if it doesn't improve on this end, man, you're gonna use it to mature me. You're gonna use it to conform me to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if I don't have the blessing that I want on this side of glory, man, you're gonna give it to me in eternity. One way or another, I'm blessed. Okay, what's happening? Your heart is taking a mature position and God's gonna, God's gonna answer your prayer because your heart is aligned with him. He's gonna give you the desires of your heart. Last thing, Jacob is a hard worker. Whatever he's doing, man, he's working his tail off. And the Bible commends this type of life. If you're not getting ahead in life, take a hard look at yourself. Are you a lazy bum? Are you lazy? Man, nothing ever goes my way. Well, get to work. Start working. Jacob was a very hard worker. I'll give you a lot of cross-references for that. We'll be picking up Proverbs after our relationship series on Tuesday night. You're gonna get repeated lessons in God's expectation over your life. Men, be a hard worker. Women, ladies, be hard workers. Why? Well, because you belong to the Lord. Colossians, uh, Colossians 3.23 says, and whatsoever you do, one bonnet, do as little as you can, just try to make your way through. No. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatever job that you have before you, do it to the best of your ability. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. You represent him. So you go through life, you go through life working and you're one bun in it just trying to get by and get a paycheck. You're poorly representing the Lord Jesus. Did Jesus one bun it for you? Right? You get what I'm saying, one bunning, okay? I just can't cuss in church, all right? Don't one bun it, right? Don't do that. Okay, some of you are catching up. Okay, he didn't one bun it at Calvary, did he? He took all of our sin. He was a hard worker. He took it all to Calvary. And he suffered all of God's wrath over our sin. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee bows, every tongue confesses, right? Jesus gets all of the glory because he was all in for the Father and he was all in for you and now you're gonna just weakly make your way through life doing as little as possible, being a, a lazy, right, no account bum in your job, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationships. Man, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. He's worth it. You carry the name Christ, Christian. You wanna represent him well. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? Man, let's bow our heads, let's humble our hearts. Let's submit our lives to Christ. How many said, uh, how many would say, Pastor, would you pray for me right now? I heard from the Lord this morning and God's dealing with me on something. I know, I know, maybe it's, I know the next step I need to take. I know some decision I need to make. I know something that I need to walk away from. I know some step, uh, whatever that is. I heard from the Lord this morning and I need his grace to move forward in faith. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? How many would say that? Okay, I see your hands. How many would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? 
I recognize this morning I don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've got God in my life and that's not right. I need, I need to know that, that, that the Lord's with me, that I'm with the Lord. Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't have Christ in my heart, that needs to change. Please pray for me. Is there anybody like that? Pray for me, I need to be saved. I need God to take my life. I need to be born again. Is there anyone? Please pray for me. I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to heaven when I die. So Father, you see our hands and Lord, you know how you took your word and, and you met each of us where we're at and, and you made application to our individual lives and, and, and Lord, for you, this is no big deal. Uh, you have unlimited capacity. And so Lord, we're, we're trusting you in all of that. And so God, how you've spoken to each heart and each life, God, we are asking and I do wanna pray for my brothers and sisters that God, uh, that today they would find grace, that they'd find strength to submit in the area that you're dealing with, with, with their life, dealing with their heart. Lord, if it's in the area of relationships, God, enlarge our hearts, increase our capacity for one another. If it's in the area of um, you know, marriage relationships, parenting relationships, uh, relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, we need you to enlarge our hearts. We need, we need grace to forgive and forbear. Maybe it's a decision about moving forward in faith. Uh, trusting you, whether it's in our job or in ministry, or, or maybe it's maybe it's taking a next step in terms of our involvement, whether it's discipleship or baptism or, or joining a church, joining this church. God, in all of this, we don't want to just recognize what needs to happen. Lord, we want to get to the doing of it. We want to get to the submitting to it, and, and, and we want to start following you in it. And so, God, I ask for grace for that. And then, Lord, uh, at the end of all of it, God, uh, if, if the Spirit is pointing out some area of error, some, some deficiency, maybe it is laziness at work, maybe it is laziness in, in, in trusting you for spiritual fruit, whatever that is, Lord, we wanna, we wanna be wise. And, and so God, I'm asking for the insight and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we'd repent and agree with you over sin and then start moving forward in faith. And so God, I'm praying that today would be a day of rededication for brothers and sisters that, that need to do that, that need to put a stake down and say, I'm done living for myself, I'm done with the excuses, so help me God by his grace, I'm gonna start walking with Christ and his word. And God, I ask for all this in Jesus' name, amen.